Hello, and welcome back to the show. We're just a handful of friends sharing stories and talking about, well, anything and everything. And tonight, we're continuing our conversation about the HBO Max series Years and Years. Tonight's panel includes Mark Robertshaw and Eric Stein. The series is produced by Joan Peterson, and I'm your host, Christian Klarna. Just a quick program note, there will be spoilers here, so proceed with caution. Additionally, this program is intended for a mature audience, so listener discretion is advised. In our last chat, we talked mainly about the second episode of the series. This time, we'll focus on episode three. All right, here we are talking about episode three. What did you guys think? Seems like a, well, I enjoy all of the episodes so much. It, this one seemed like a little bit of a transitional episode because, you know, some big things happen at the end of episode two with the banks failing and losing, losing all of the money from the house. So we get to spend some time now back with the family, seeing how they are dealing with this huge financial change. How many years do we jump between episode two and episode three? I know it's 2026 now in episode three. I'm not sure exactly. It's been long enough since the bomb went off that they make reference to it feeling like it was so long ago that you don't even think about it anymore. So yeah. there, there's been a substantial amount of time, but I don't know exactly. Yeah. The, how um, I looked that up. But I think that the watching the family deal with their new financial situation of people, so many people living together now and right. under one roof and Rosie, who is really a much more of a blue collar worker working um, in a cafeteria basically for a school, I think, to see how it's affected her that even she's losing her job um, now. Yeah. And she um, has her sister, Edith, living with her. So they've got extra people in her household. And then of course, um, Muriel, Gran has Stephen and his family in her house. So really, it seems like the only one that is able to sustain somewhat normal life as far as where they live and everything is is uh, Daniel. But his life is upside down because Victor has been deported. Yeah. So everyone has their own kind of stuff to deal with right now. Revisiting this episode, it was a little bit, it got me a little nervous about what we're going through right now because because they jump so many years at a time, we get to see a little further into the process. So, you know, we've, we're in a situation where economically certain industries are really starting to struggle because of um, what's going on with the COVID crisis. It's, it's scary to think about how is that going to trickle down in a year or two and really affect so, so just the vast majority of industries in general, you know, when you can't be in, the the meatpacking plant how many other people does that affect when when theater can't happen it's not just about the actors on the stage it's and it's not just about the technicians backstage it's about the the people in the lobby who are selling souvenirs but it's also the people um, who own the restaurants next door and right. the cafes across the street and um and all you know all of that and then the people who are in the warehouses who are sewing the costumes and the people yeah. in the warehouses who are building the sets, we just don't even be, we, we don't even have, we have no idea how much this is going to affect, uh, you know, six months from now, even sure. if we get a, get a vaccine and things start to move in the right direction again, we have no idea how much it's going to affect so much coming up. Yeah. yeah I thought that as well. I thought that the, um, it, the world gets turned upside down. You just watch Stephen's demise from being a banker and and 
almost arrogant in a way to having to work three menial jobs to be able to barely get by and then losing his moral compass and, and because right. of it. It ends up being five jobs by the time we get done. One of yeah. them is being a guinea pig for drug companies. So he's oh, was he's, that in this episode too? Yeah, I think he's, he just talked about it. He's episode. doing drug trials. And we discover in this episode also that he has started an affair with uh, a coworker. Um, in fact, he tells her about this drug trial thing because she asks about the different jobs. He's uh, delivering pizzas and he's working as a bike courier. And that's kind of an interesting thing too. When he goes to that interview, the boss man, the supervisor, whatever foreman says, you'll earn 60 pence per parcel delivery. If it's not delivered within an hour, you won't be paid. You have to pay one pound per day insurance to use the bike or a dollar fifty or a pound fifty to use a van. And you pay the insurance even if you don't work and there's no holiday pay. There's no vacation pay. So it's like the most shit job you can think of, and he has to humble himself to do it when he used to make presumably tons of money as an investment banker. And uh, now here he is riding a bike, delivering people's stuff for yeah, pe- people taking 60 cents a, a package. <laughs> we get to see people taking advantage of other people's de- desperation. Yeah. And that, I wrote that too. It's kind of very similar to what's happening right now. We don't have a V-shaped economy. We have a K-shaped economy where some people are really profiting on this time right now and some people have to choose new lifestyles to to handle it yeah totally i was interested in um vivian rook um too and obviously they're not subtle i mean she is she is a boris johnson character she's a trump character she she um she is a i guess what she wants people to think she's a populist whether i think she actually is or not that's a different story but um but uh, it's just interesting to watch and see in front of you somebody who is saying one thing to support to their supporters but actually in the the work that they're doing is so detrimental to their supporters the the policies that they're supporting the um the environment that they're creating is so absolutely detrimental to their supporters but they're able to have a charismatic presentation that uh, makes their supporters think that they're on their side. But I thought they're starting to do a really good job with Vivian Rook of, of watching, uh, showing what she says, but then also letting us start to see that um, what she does is actually different than what she says. Yeah. And she's, she's kind of made some pretty bold moves. She's started her own television network. She refuses to be interviewed by anyone else or to appear on anyone else's show. She only will do appearances on her own network. Uh, she's proposed that um, anyone who wants to vote has to pass an IQ test and has to have a minimum score of at least 70, which seems like a relatively low bar, but even so that's not ever been a thing before. And uh, you know, she's just kind of gone off the rails a little bit as far as uh, her views, but somehow she's still able to get, um, people to climb on board of her four-star party. In fact, the the proposal of uh, the 70 minimum IQ score, there's even some discussion among the family, like you've said that before. And, you know, you you said that would be a good idea previously and that sort of thing. And to be honest, I've even thought that myself. Like some people, they have no business voting because they don't know what they're voting for. They just check a box without knowing what they're checking. 
And I would say a lot of people are doing that. They, they don't read what the uh, propositions are or don't have a whole lot of idea about who the candidates are. I mean, maybe presidential and stuff, but for local candidates, no one knows who the school board people are. Um, they're just voting for people either randomly or because they've heard the name and they're not necessarily educating themselves. And I think Viv's proposal in theory is trying to whittle down the voting population to people who actually know what they're voting about. But when you do that, it leaves out everybody else. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. Cause yeah, I think many of us have been there, you know, people voting against their, their own interests don't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, why are they doing that? They're, um, not a well-educated electorate, but the, the challenge and the question comes down to, okay, who's going to make the decide? Who, I mean, who's going to make the decision? Who gets to decide who gets to vote and who doesn't get to vote? We all may say, well, not everybody um, should vote because they're not educating themselves, but who ultimately gets to decide that? I'm happy. I'll volunteer. I'll make the decision if people want it. <laughs> Uh, I will step up and say this person gets to and this person doesn't, but I'm not sure other people are overly excited to have me be the person to make the decision. And I can tell you, I'm not, I'm not interested in having Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, make the decision on who gets to vote or who doesn't in the same way that I would imagine people in Texas aren't overly interested in having Gavin Newsom decide who gets to vote and who doesn't. So uh, it seems like the only option is to make it available to everybody. Yeah, but in a way, we kind of do that anyway. People volunteer to be the ones that will vote for us, and they become our representatives and our senators. And we vote for these people, even if in reality, their views and ours may not be in line at all. And you know, when you look at the number of millionaires that are in Congress versus the number of millionaires in the general population, there's a pretty dramatic disparity there. So even when we think we're voting for people that agree with us, we aren't necessarily. They will vote for their own best interest first. And if it happens to align with what their constituents want, all the better. But really, yeah. it's about either lining their pockets or keeping themselves in the job, um, which is why you know term limits is a topic that continually comes up. That's what's interesting about Vivian Rook is I think what we get to see is as she gains more power, we get to then hear what she really believes. Right. Which I think um, is interesting uh, that the more power um, a politician has, the more insight we start to get into what they really believe before they have the power. They're trying to stay under the radar, trying to please, please as many people as possible. But um, I think that's uh, something that they're doing really well with the show is mm -hmm. letting us part, finding out more about Vivian Rook as she gains more power. Yeah. I, I wrote down that uh, pot committed poker term. Like when you, once you go down a certain path in a betting cycle in poker and you, and you look, uh Oh, I'm going to lose this, but you still keep playing the same way you played because you've, you're pot committed. So they say, I, I wrote that, that celebrity wins over logic. Um, in this case with Vivian's like, she gets more hits for her crazy attitudes then that that will win over people's votes and then once you're committed to that kind of a train even if it starts going sour it's it, i mean you just have to say that every the rest of the news is fake news and then people will not think rationally they'll just they'll just be gut wow i love that mark that is fascinating i i, I don't know that term and i've even played poker with you a bit but um <laughs> 
but that's fascinating because, and you may have been alluding to this already, but um, I think that applies to the voter more, even more than it does to the politician. Oh, know, absolutely. That, that's that, that's that, what I meant. Actually. Yeah. That the voter commits to somebody and it doesn't seem to matter what that person does. They're all in for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating because, you know, I was, um, am, I'm very much a big fan of Pr- president Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. I, I worked for the Obama campaign and I think back now and I think, what would it have taken? What would, what would Barack have had to have done for me to, to turn on him? Mm. It would have taken a lot. It would have taken a lot for me to go, I no longer support him. Fortunately, he didn't test that, in my opinion. I, I was fond of his presidency and, and stuck with him the whole way. Obviously, nobody does 100% of everything that you want them to do or, or whatever. But I think about that when I think of supporters of our current situation. And I try to have some empathy, if that's the right word, of I guess it would have taken a lot to get me to change my mind. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to be a little more patient with some folks as I am trying to help them maybe change their mind. Uh, yeah. yeah. When, you, when it comes to that, you think, well, what would it take for people to change their mind about Trump? And these things keep happening and they're still not changing their mind. So I, it's a pretty high bar, I guess. Well, it's fascinating. That's, I mean, that's what I'm talking about is yeah. I, I look at it and go, I can't even wrap my brain around how I understand you may have voted for the man four years ago. I can't understand why you are going to vote for him again. Well, that the, I cannot wrap my brain around. And, but I'm saying it, I, I have some empathy because it would have taken a lot to get me to change my mind about uh, Barack. Now, I think I would have if he was acting the way I know I would have if he was acting the way Trump is acting. But um, anyway, I, I, I think it's um, interesting because we watched that happen with Vivian Rook. She starts to, she was appealing to a, a large amount of people early in her, in her rise, but then she starts to do some really upsetting and crazy stuff and, uh, you know, some appalling stuff and, really as we get further into the series it gets it gets much worse and so many people stick with her because as mark said they were pot committed they were all in right and there are people in life and in the show that are frustrated with what's going on and they feel like they want to do something don't know what to do so they vote which is incredibly important but there are other people like edith who go a step or several steps farther um and she actually takes lincoln on a sort of secret mission she tells rose that uh, she wants to take him out for the day and go see uh toy story resurrection uh i don't know what iteration of toy story that might be 20 something or whatever but um they're going to go see that movie in theory in reality uh edith dresses lincoln as a little girl and takes her to uh, take your daughter to work day at this big company. She ends up getting a fake ID in order to get in. And then somehow she has her cell phone and she either downloads some information or uploads some false information. It's not really clear what she does, but later on it's revealed that there's been a leak of some information that causes big trouble with this company, which I believe is the company that has all these refugee camps around the country. And, uh, so there's some espionage going on and poor Lincoln is unwittingly a, uh, a participant 
in it, which is an, another thing that just makes it seem a, a little bit worse because, you know, this young child who is, I don't know, maybe five or six years old at the time is involved in this unknowingly. But uh, it just goes to show the lengths that some people will go to participate somehow and try to make a change, uh, whether or not they go about it the right way or not. Um, it reminds me at a different level, but the story recently about those people that had the plot to kidnap the governor of Wisconsin, I think, and, and uh, Michigan, 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 yeah, and, and yeah. put her on quote unquote trial. You know, the, people get these ideas in their head. They they get motivated by things that the politicians like Vivian Rook and they think this is the right thing to do and they go off in a weird direction. Well, I, that's actually what I put as the overarching theme of the whole episode was that uh, what does it take to make a good person do bad things it is, is that whole fall from grace that almost everybody experiences in this. One of the things that bothered me is at the end of the episode, the siblings who have just been at their father's funeral uh, see a biker delivering something. And then I think it's Stephen driving, isn't it? And he decides to run over the bike several times and punish him because the person who initially caused the father to have an accident was also a biker. That kind of misplaced anger is is kind of indicative of what happens when a Vivian Rook or a Trump comes into power and says, I hear that you are frustrated. Let me give you something to hurt. I want you, if you hurt this thing, you'll feel better. So let me just give you some targets that are completely in, unrelated. Yeah, it, and that, it, that sort of exemplified the that act of just random violence. Right there. That whole arc was kind of interesting too. Their father has been out of the picture for years uh, when they were all younger, he left to be with another woman, had another child with this other woman who happens to have the same name as the oldest son. They're both named Stephen, but one is with a PH and the other was with a V. But uh, the father's 70th birthday is coming up and they decide they're going to go uh, to be part of this birthday celebration. But before that happens, there's an accident and one of these bike couriers runs into him on the street and he falls. The bike knocking him down isn't what killed him. What killed him is he ended up with a, a cut on his hand that became infected. And because antibiotics no longer work, he ended up with sepsis and organ failure. And so he died by having a scrape on his hand, which is scary to think about. But we keep hearing about how antibiotics are, are getting weaker and weaker and our immune systems uh, can't cope with things like they have in the past. And so it's a, a very feasible thing that might happen. So they go to the funeral instead of the birthday party. The father, instead of being cremated, there's a new thing. Um, I don't remember what they call it, but it's uh, basically instead of being cremated, you become liquefied. And instead of getting a vial of ashes to have as a memento, you get this vial of liquid. And at the wake in the bar, Edith decides that she's going to rebel and she drinks that liquid. <laughs> she says, dad tastes like soap. That was kind of a, an interesting thing. First of all, that that's a more environmentally friendly way to dispose of a body. And then <laughs> that she would go to that length to show her disdain for her father was something else, I think. Yeah. You know, just inside of all of that, before I forget, I thought it was kind of that the uh, everybody's 
tolerance to antibiotics, the effects of antibiotics seems analogous to our tolerance to politicians being having horrible behavior. So, you know, at first it's Vivian, you know, saying, I don't give a fuck. But then as you progress, that becomes the norm. In fact, it becomes her slogan. It becomes the centerpiece of what she does. And that's kind of how we have been, like, we're not surprised anymore by what happens in the White House as our tolerance for it. You know, yeah, it's just no it's, shock level anymore. It, you're right. Nothing, nothing seems to shock us. In fact, it's like a, a bad movie when you're like, oh, of course Trump gets COVID. I don't, I, I can't imagine anybody was overly shocked by that, that he, that he ended up getting it. But it's still, if you wrote it and presented it to the studios as your script for a movie, they, I'm not sure totally they would sign. Yeah. I don't think they would sign on to that. You know, it's just it, the insanity. I hope it's, I hope it's working against him now that people are just starting to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of done with that. I'm just done with the chaos. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that that's the case. I guess we'll find out. Some people still want the chaos, hopefully fewer. Um, but um, I think what one of the things that I, I love about this show and and what I it, I keep noticing as I revisit it is how much they showed the way the world is intertwined. That mm-hmm. um, you don't get to just be in England and say, okay, in, in England, we we did a good job with our anti our antibiotics and so we can still use them. It's the entire world's use of antibiotics is going to affect you no matter where you are. So if we can't get the entire world educated on the best way to mm-hmm. use antibiotics, it's gonna, we're going to be screwed. And, and it's, you know, again, I, I, love, I love my President Obama. You know, one of the things that Barack Obama did so well was work to shut down some of these pandemics in the country where they started. Um, as opposed to saying it doesn't affect America, so I don't need to worry about it. He was smart enough to go, we got to deal with Ebola right now in this tiny little country because if it gets out, we're in really big trouble. Um, mm-hmm. And even his work on the swine flu in um, in Asia kept us to 20, what, 26,000 deaths from the swine flu in this country as opposed to Corona, which is, from what I understand, similar to the swine flu, is, you know, we're pushing two, 210, I think we're over 210,000 deaths now because we can't be isolationists in, in, in this world today. You right. can't be, you can't, you can't close your borders and be like nobody, nobody from the outside world is going to affect us. And you can't, you can't, you know, harm the environment and think that it's not going to, uh, it's not a global issue as well. Yeah. You know, well, you, you need, and you know, I'm sure, I don't know how Christian, how much politics you want in this podcast, but you need to wear a mask. It's not just about you. You're, right. you're wearing the mask for your fellow man, for your fellow woman, for your fellow person. You're not necessarily wearing it for you to understand that there are things in this world that are that you are part of a community not just i'm going to worry about myself we need to be part of this global community and uh that's what's so sad you know just so sad that so many people see that as an affront that how dare you tell me that i have to care about my about the the human being next to me yeah Um, i said at the at the end of the the wrap-up of the last uh of our podcast i said wear your mask and it it's 
really sad to me that that very small, maybe minorly inconvenient act is considered a, a violation of rights or whatever. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like that asking it, people to care about asking people to take into consideration somebody else other than themselves. It's, it's basically the equivalent of asking someone to turn their head before they sneeze in your face. Yeah. It, it's, it's a common courtesy thing. It's, it's not a violation of rights. It, I don't get it at all. I don't either. Um, and going back to borders that you talked about a minute ago in the last episode, Victor got deported. And in this episode, he was in an apartment there staying with a friend and that apartment got raided. Um, and he was able to get out, I guess, two minutes before the police showed up, uh, which of course, Daniel freaks out about. He ends up getting a call from Victor the next day, letting him know that he is okay. He somehow got onto a bus and made it to, I forget the place that he went, but somewhere far away. Um, and they're working on a plan to, to get him back. There's a birthday party for Daniel that he throws and that's where we have that barbecue where they have the orange peel burgers and all that stuff that we talked about last time. Um, but at that party, he announces that Victor has been able to escape to socialist Spain where he will not be deported. And then Daniel is able to go to Spain to visit him uh, at this refugee camp or wherever he, it is that he's staying. Um, and then ultimately comes back to England because of the funeral for his father. Um, but they've, had some communication, some contact. Um, so Daniel feels a little bit better about that only to find out that his dad died and life is crazy again. Uh, that's a fun, that's a fun little thing that they gave us in this episode, which is we're seeing a lot of countries we hear about the U S in this, uh, during this television show, we obviously spend a lot of time in England. We hear about, um, what's going on in Russia and everything seems very, um, authoritarian and um, very huge swing to the right. It's fun to see that elsewhere in the world, there are some countries that have made huge swings to the left where Spain has become this ultra liberal um, country where, what did they, what did they say? Something like there's the um, conjugal visit suite right. in the, um, in the at detention the center camp. at the yeah. internment camp is, is, is even wonderful um, in this uh, in socialist Spain. <laughs> yeah, another kind of crazy thing that happens to this episode that we talked a little bit about last time, Bethany meets a girl at work, Lizzie, uh, and the two of them conspire to uh, move forward with this transhuman thing. Um, and this is actually the episode where they go and uh, go on this ship out in the harbor uh, in Liverpool to have some surgery done. And the surgery for Lizzie gets completely botched. She has this bionic eye put in it doesn't work um and bethany's in a panic she calls home her mom answers and comes to the rescue uh takes her to a hospital and the hospital worker i don't know if it's a nurse or a doctor or whatever but she says you know there's things that we can do but unfortunately for someone like her she can't afford it and the government uh won't pay for it under their universal health care so you'd have to have private medicine take care of it. And so it's heartbreaking to know that there is a way to fix what happened, but it's not going to be that way because no one's willing to pay for it. And that's kind of a, a heartbreaking thing. And it, again, ties in with what we have now where uh, there's talk about trying to dismantle Obamacare and um, 
you know, the pre-existing condition thing is on the fence and, you know, there's all these different things and it, it's amazing all the technological and, and medical advancements that are shown in this series. And yet it's not available to a large portion of the population because they can't afford it, even though in theory they have universal health care. Yeah, it's interesting with Trump having just gotten COVID and he has access to all these experimental drugs and keeps telling, right. telling everybody. Yeah, we have that, a cure. We have a cure, but it's I not, get it. <laughs> yeah, but, but you, the rest of you can't have it. Um, it's uh, sickening and sad. But um, the, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, when you look at uh, the healthcare situation and, and it's, it's great that they address that in the show because we've had, it makes it can help us take a step back and kind of go, is it the best idea to have um, your health insurance um, tied to your job when we have many f- people have seen that that uh, the job can go away in an instant in a global pandemic and all of a sudden, does that mean your health care goes away too because it was tied to your job? I mean, I could tell stories about what's happening to my union health care right now and um, I'm sure the two of you have got uh, stories about what, how you're trying to manage your health care right now. And I'm a supporter of Obamacare. I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, I may need it in the not too distant future. I hope it still exists. But uh, I think it might be time for us to look for a way to have health insurance available to people that maybe isn't tied to their job. What do you guys think? Well, I, I think that Part of the issue with that, with the United States having the same kind of coverage that Sweden would have, or England for that matter, where years and years takes place, is their populations are dramatically smaller than the population of the United States. When you're talking about a nation that has fewer people than the state of California, it's a very different scale to yes. be able to cover everyone. And that's one of the big problems. The other countries that have huge populations larger than the US are countries like China and India, and they have no healthcare at all for all intents and purposes. So it's a, uh, it, it's a big question. And it is, it is not an easy, it is not an easy thing, especially with how big we are. Let's see. What else do you have on your list uh, of bullet points, Christian, from the episode? Well, one of the last things that happens in the episode is um, Vivian Rook wins uh, the election and maintains her seat as an MP, but she is in a minority party. And traditionally, what happens is that minority party would make an alliance with one of the major parties, the uh, Liberal Party or the, the Tories, the more conservative party, whatever, and they would form a coalition and and they would team up against the other big party. She decides, I'm not going to make a coalition with any other parties. If they want something done, they'll have to come to me. I'll decide, which is kind of a big deal. Mark and I have talked before about uh, in the U.S. politics, how we feel that um, at times the two-party system that we have here can be a big detriment because you get in these ideological camps on one side or the other, and no one wants to give in, where it seems like if you had third, fourth parties that were viable, not like the Green Party or the Libertarian Party that have no power whatsoever. If you actually had a third or a fourth party that actually had some clout, then you would have a middle ground where you could sway a little bit. And I I, I don't know, it seems like you could somehow get things passed that you can't get passed now, or you could prevent things from being passed, but in coalition with 
someone other than just the two ideologies. And that uh, thing that Vivian Rook does makes me second guess that whole idea. It is interesting because it does start to sometime appear, sometimes appear as if two people carry all the power because they are in the middle of the road, where Vivian's not in the middle of the road. But like, I think in, in the Senate right now, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski have a great deal of power because sometimes they are with the Democrats and sometimes they're with the Republicans. So both parties are trying to get Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski on their side. That's a lot of power that just two people have. Um, Yeah. Mitch McConnell as well. No, not Mitch McConnell. I'm sorry. Massachusetts. Mitt um, Romney. Mitt Romney. Yeah. Well, especially, yeah. Mitt Mitt is big, big deal now. Um, you're hundred percent right. And McCain was like that before, before the right. world, world lost him. Um, and states, our voting system is kind of that way too, that Ohio and Iowa seem to matter a whole lot more in an election than California, yeah. California or Texas. Well, Texas this year actually matters, but maybe uh, Mississippi and California don't get a whole lot of attention. Right. Um, yeah. but boy, Florida, Florida and Pennsylvania. Yeah. Places. I, I would be rough to, to live in in Ohio and have that much <laughs> politics coming at you that yeah. much all the time, right? You That's know, interesting actually. Yeah. But um, but they carry so much power. Those six states out of fifty mm-hmm. really make the decide what's what's going to happen for the country. You know, and that's interesting because the the candidates cater to those states so much that they they don't really address. The, the American issues. They address the, how can I get Floridians to vote my way? Yeah. And what am I going to say out loud in public that might offend another state where I don't, I know I'm not going to win, but I can just win Floridians. I mean, that, that catering to the, I don't know. I mean, that's democracy too, you know? Yeah. This is what you want to hear. Um, but man, it reminded me a lot of, I don't know, the, the concept of the person who sees his people running in a direction and says to himself, I have to find out where they're going so I can lead them versus the person who says, I have a concept where we can go. I'm going to see if I can get them to follow me. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if anyone else can hear it or if it'll come through on the podcast. But throughout this episode, while we've been talking, I've been hearing sirens going off in the background. Yeah, I have too. (laughs) So there's an emergent situation, not only in the world, but in our own local area. (laughs) There's just sirens going off all the way through. So if you hear those in the background, it's real. It's not your imagination. (laughs) It's just 2020. We added added them in (laughs) for effect. It's, It's so interesting to be revisiting this show now. I know I've said this before, but to have watched it in the fall of 2019 and then to revisit it in the fall of 2020, it's just, it's it's almost cliche. It's like, I guess in some ways, because I know what's gonna happen, it, almost, it gives me hope too. So I I hope that our society figures stuff out a little faster than the society of years and years because it's a 15-year journey, I think, on years and years. Something um, like that, yeah. Where I would rather not wait till 2035 for this to be resolved. But there, 
there's just so many things that some, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes when I see shows like this, I think, oh, that's really interesting. That's something that we might be dealing with in 20 years, or that's something we might deal with in 30 years. And to have so much of what they dealt with in years and years when they made it in 2019, to have so much of it start to really happen just one in one year is, is thrilling and overwhelming at the same time. Really cool mm-hmm. for the television show really hard for us yeah it's it's kind of wild that you watched the show a year ago if i had seen it a year ago i don't know that i would have stuck with it because i would have felt that it's too implausible to have all this craziness happen uh in a relatively short period of time and that's over the course of like you said 15 years or so and when you look at this one year not even a year since february really and now we're in october so eight months we've had as much chaos, it seems, that they've had in 15 years on the show. Different chaos, but still, it, it's... No one's, no one's dropped a nuclear bomb yet, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But, um, um, you know what it, it, it reminded me of is, uh, I remember seeing um, Network yeah, when yeah. I was in college, and watching that at one of the... Where before we even had streaming, every Friday and Saturday they'd have videos they'd play in the dorms and that was they came out in the 70s i'm assuming yeah uh, and Madison, i remember I'm not watching take it that and going this is kind of like a weird dystopia not it doesn't real almost and then the, the reason i found it again was because uh studio 60 referenced it in its opening sequence um and i remember going back and watching it again and going almost everything that has happened that they w- was it nostradamic <laughs> yeah <laughs> So it was amazing that it was no longer shocking. It was actually completely normal for people to be, to, to shout, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore on the air all the time. Yeah. Well, and they, they make reference to that a little bit in years and years. Like um, in the very first episode when Vivian Rook says, you know, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And that's shocking even today for someone to say that on television yeah even on cable news it, that's just not the way polite people communicate and she's breaking down all kinds of barriers and for better or worse yeah. um and so yeah that just well trump, trump sets a, a, a tone for that character very quickly. Trump, trump has started to say this is bullshit a lot in his can in his yeah. rallies and in and um, after the first debate, um, a, a very well-known news anchor referred to, accurately referred to the first debate as a shit show. Yeah. Right. But when did you ever think an anchor on the news was going to call something a shit show? It's not something that you'll hear on broadcast television because yeah. there are rules for broadcast television. It's pretty uncommon, uh, which makes it that much more powerful, I guess, when that kind of language is used. Yeah. Well, as we talk about television shows and stories that we've all enjoyed that have become Nostradamic, um, <laughs> I am getting worried that uh, we're going to have to do a Hunger Games um, podcast to start. I just hope the Hunger Games doesn't come true too soon. Um, but that seems to be the next step. So we've got years and years. We've got uh, network. We've got um, television shows that are becoming reality. Is, is the next step, are we headed towards the Hunger Games? 
or are we going to make it, are we going to turn it around before that? Yeah. Hopefully years and years doesn't become reality TV. Well, it, it, some of it has already. Some some of it already has, but. um, Well, yeah, I think the the hope is more that it's a pendulum. I'm hoping that Mm -hmm. we went down this path, but we've learned our lessons now. I mean, it seems like we've gone back and forth throughout, even not even American history, but world history. Sure. Uh, you look at the, even thousands of years ago, looking at the Roman Empire, there are some magnificent people who get some great things inside of that. And they're also the most horrific people in the world. Yeah. Uh, for part of that collective. And it went ebbed and flowed. I'm hoping that our pendulum swings back. Unfortunately, it's going to, I really thought a pandemic, a common enemy would have done it, but it's not quite the enemy we need to make it swing yet. We'll see after November 3rd. It has united more. It has divided, but I think the division has become Mm -hmm. 70-30, where maybe before the pandemic, we were looking at a more of a 50-50 divide. Yeah. I still think it's appalling to find out that 30% of the country are as horrible as they are, but um, it's, uh, it's moved a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm still afraid that your projections are a little bit optimistic anyway. Well, uh, like I, you know what I've said before, I don't believe that everybody who supports one political party are, are horrible people. I believe I, so if 40% or 45% of the country supports a particular political party, I don't think all 45% of them are awful humans. I do think about 30% of them are though. So that's why my numbers maybe are a little lower because I'm not, I'm not putting everybody who votes for a particular political party into that category, but I'm putting most of them. Well, uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything in episode three. Next time we'll talk about episode four and in the meantime if you need something to watch to kind of cleanse your palate uh last night i watched uh enola holmes yes on netflix and enjoyed that uh, i i recommend it highly I, I thought it was clever um millie bobby brown is uh the title character and she does a great job uh she's the star of stranger things for those that are unaware there's also helena bottom carter has a role in that anyway it was fun and uh it's uh, it's about change as well, but it uh, it, it was clever and, and well done. I, I think really, it's worth really a watch. Charming. You know what it reminded me? It reminded me a little bit of a modern Jane Austen. It was like if yeah. you, if Jane if Jane Austen wrote um, a book about Sherlock Holmes's little sister. I gotta uh, check that out. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was really just really enjoyable. I put a plug in for Trolls World Tour. <laughs> really, and I'm not kidding. I enjoyed that movie, Trolls World Tour. Very enjoyable about um, you know, lovely societies based on music. So um, I, I saw that movie because my nephew purchased it on my Amazon account <laughs> on pay-per-view. <laughs> so it was available for 24 hours. And I said, well, if I paid for it anyway, I may as well watch it. And then about two weeks or so later, I get the DirecTV bill and it's been charged again because Lindsay's nephews were here and they purchased it on DirecTV. So I paid for that stinking movie two times, $45. And it's free on Hulu right now. Yeah, well, it cost me 45 bucks. I won't even pay 30 bucks for Milan. I know. So anyway, I, I actually, th- I thought the movie was clever. It was, it was cute, but it was not worth 45 bucks. It's really good when you watch it for free on Hulu. So yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'm, what, I'm are you, what are you watching, Mark? 
Uh, I just watched something that was like a uh, palate cleanser from all of the insanity that I've been listening to. It was called Coastal Elites. It was on, it's on HBO. It's just five well-known actors like uh, Bette Midler, Dan Levy. I can't remember the names of the other ones, but there's monologues. What they do is they take a clip of what someone said, like Trump or Pence or Ivanka or something like that. And then they have someone who it's, it's obvious not, not a uh, real experience, but they have these people go through these monologues of their experience dealing with that. It is so liberal that it's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> I usually go, okay, but it is so, it, it gets out that rage that you feel. It, it's kind of nice to have someone go through it. Dan Levy's especially, I thought was really good. And the, the reason I saw it, I was just flipping through channels and it was Dan Levy doing his, which is about an audition process, about him being characterized as gay and having to audition and they want him to be more gay or less gay and how he becomes a caricature. And then um, I thought it was actually him talking about his life. Later, when I looked at the whole thing, it's actually a monologue. I don't even know if he wrote it, but I recommend it if you want to get some severe liberal yayas. <laughs> <laughs> so that about wraps it up for today. I'd like to thank our producer, Joan Peterson, and our panelists, Mark Robertshaw and Eric Stein. I'm Christian Clarno. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us next time when we dig into episode four of Years and Years. Until then, stay safe and wear your masks. Oh,